Welcome back to Forces of Good, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour with co-host Nina Greeley. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. This is the Negotiation Laboratory, where we share insights into basic skills, strategy, history, storytelling, behavioral sciences, and social trends. It's all connected. We are all connected. And everyone can learn the everyday negotiation superpower to be used only for the forces of good. Earlier this year, I got a monthly invoice for my brick-and-mortar office share with an increase that I had not agreed to, that no one had even talked to me about. In fact, due to the repeated mishandling of my mail five years ago, which resulted in donation checks from my nonprofit and court notices being returned to the sender, I reached a settlement with the management company for a discounted rate going forward which was to be indefinite. So I was confused by this rate increase. I sent the office manager an email asking for clarification on this new bill and whether it was perhaps just a mistake. An email rally ensued. On the one hand, she denied any knowledge about my settlement, and on the other hand, she claimed to be the owner of the business for the past 10 years who would have approved any such thing. What I noticed is that she simply wouldn't answer my question as to the increase. I proposed a phone conversation and asked her to please review the past records surrounding the settlement, which I had forwarded to her for her convenience. Well, I think that was a smart move because email can just end up being a black hole. I mean, we'd actually still need to talk to one another, right? Exactly. So when we finally got on the phone with one another, she immediately kind of hijacked the discourse with a a monologue about how she had told her family at the dinner table that she had gone head to head with a high-powered attorney. And, you know, you have to imagine a bunch of these words being in air quotes, (laughs) high-powered attorney who went to Stanford and who was a negotiation expert. And she went on to say that I had gotten my pound of flesh from them these past five years with a cheap rate I'd beaten out of them for the alleged mishandling of mail. And then she was quick to proffer that in her experience, complaints about mishandling of mail was almost never their fault, and that it was time for me to pay my fair share. Wow. I know. (laughs) I was a bit speechless, though not for long, not to mention offended. I'm offended just hearing about it now. Well, then I'll give you a break from the story to allow you, allow you to compose yourself. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pause and say a word about Robert Axelrod, his research on the evolution of cooperation, and his findings from iterated prisoner's dilemma computer trials. That's a type of game theory. And Axelrod taught four lessons to optimize cooperation and outcomes, and he calls it the tit-for-tat protocol, based on the name of the computer program that ran the trials. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Number one, be cooperative. That is, start off with a cooperative attitude and expect your counterpart to do the same. Number two, be provocable. That is... 
be capable of retaliating if the other party stops cooperating. Number three, be retaliating. That is, when and if the other party stops cooperating, retaliate immediately and proportionately, retaliate in kind. And number four, be forgiving. When the originally defecting party returns to cooperative behavior, so do you. Do not hold grudges. And this is how groups realize more overall gains through cooperation. Nobel Prize laureate, this was economics, John Forbes Nash Jr. referred it to, well, casually, he referred to it as the most beautiful woman theory. And it's actually featured in the bar scene of the film, A Beautiful Mind, starring Russell Crowe. Okay. And this relates back to your office rent. How? Uh, Okay, right. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not meandering. It's all part of the plan. Okay. (laughs) All right. So the office manager did not start off with a cooperative stance. Clearly, she had decided ahead of time that she was going to take charge of this discussion and put me in my place. So I made a quick calculation to match her strategy, which Axelrod calls tit for tat, though I used an intentionally quiet tone to contrast with her bombastic one. I said, wow, I don't know quite what to do with that. First of all, I didn't go to Stanford. I'm not sure where you're getting your information. And let me pause here to shout loud and clear, go bears. Ha, exactly. (laughs) Second, I have no idea what you mean by high-powered attorney. What do you mean? No response. I let the silence sit for a few seconds to make her squirm because I doubted she had even thought about it at all. I continued, I'm a mediator, a peace builder, and when I do represent a client, it's usually because they're homeless, because they lost their apartment after not being able to make the rent due to a workplace injury because the employer refused to report it to the workers' comp carrier and told them too bad because they're an undocumented immigrant and they had to give up their kids to foster care or something like that. Those are my clients. Third, the way you're speaking to me to start off this conversation is so full of aggressive and negating and frankly, just reductive and offensive language. It makes me wonder if you Googled how to talk to a high-powered attorney. And finally, I certainly should not be important enough to be the topic of dinner conversation with your family. I think this has really gotten off on the wrong footing. And then I asked her if she'd had a chance to review the records I'd sent her before the call. She had not. Ah, so she hadn't even bothered to prepare. Oh, no. You have to imagine my face plant at that moment. Uh, Yes. She just wanted to fight and beat the high-powered attorney so she could report that back at the dinner table. This was so dehumanizing. I wasn't going to fight. By the way, the bottom line is that by the end of that 15-minute call, I did agree to a rate increase. You did? Of $5 a month. <laughs> good good for you. Good for you. Well, you got to give a little, Nina. I guess so. <laughs> the office manager's diatribe was so full of disrespectful, careless, fighting language, and 
assumptions and lack of preparation or curiosity or listening. And I could go on. Her approach was the very antithesis of everything I'm trying to teach in this podcast. Yes. You know, the more and more I collaborate with you on this, I understand your motivations for teaching better skills. It's just better manners in, in everyday negotiation. I like that way of looking at it. It helps me have better manners too. And it made me think about the language we use with each other in everyday life, about one another, with other people, in negotiation, etc. Let's start with the word fight. I hear that all the time in contexts where I think what people really mean is advocate. Fighting for a cause, fighting for a result, fighting for change, fighting for progress, even fighting for peace. Fight is everywhere. It's sloppy, it's thoughtless, and it sets a combative tone. We hear versions of it in so many contexts. Battle of the sexes, the war on drugs, sparring for a job. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I've read, for example, editorials by people who deplore that term in the context of illness, like as in so-and-so is fighting a battle with cancer, as if trying to get well is a battle with your own body. I mean, it's not necessarily a helpful way to view the process at all. Not to mention what's implied by the phrase, so-and-so lost their battle with cancer, as if somehow because you died, you had some personal failing or lack of effort or conviction or something like that. Mm, That's another good example. Now, Tell me if you relate to this, Nina. I'm not really a fighter. I'm an advocate. I started off my career in litigation, the legal term for fighting, (laughs) right? And it devoured me. I was dreadfully unhappy. I had constant stomach aches, headaches, didn't sleep. I thought, this is why I went to law school? It was killing my soul. And I left litigation after four years. Lucia, I'm relating so closely to this because of my own experience in litigation. Now, there was a lot that I found interesting and fulfilling about litigation, but not the aggression. I I agree with you. I think some people enjoy the fight, but I am not one of them either. Ditto, Nina. (laughs) And then there are times one is reluctantly drawn into a fight or defined that way despite intentions. I was in a board of directors position last year in 2021 in a very white male conservative environment, and I was the only attorney on the board. I took the position naively thinking I could affect change from the inside. I examined the organization's bylaws, policies, protocols, and acted on a specific diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of agenda, I guess you could call it, but pretty manageable steps to try to make the place a little more woke, if you will. I was met with not just resistance, but vicious bullying. And here's the irony. They kept using the word fight to describe what I was doing, and I kept correcting them. I'm not fighting. I'm advocating. There's a difference. But they weren't hearing it. Oh, and here's a little negotiation insight. If you find yourself having to explain, you've probably already lost. Look, I think you might be right. Here are some other words 
that were used to describe me last year, many of them in writing. Are you ready, Nina? Oh, I don't know, but let's hear it. Okay. Controlling. Bossy. Omnipresent. This was for actually attending committee meetings so that I could be informed about operations and the president is ex officio member of all committees under the bylaws. Well, you've got a lot of nerve actually showing up to meetings. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The arrogance, right? Okay, the next one is related to that. Like mom is in the room making sure everyone plays nice. (laughs) I wish people could see me rolling my eyes right now. Are you kidding me with this stuff? Yeah, preach, Nina. But wait, there's more. Manipulative. Well, that's a classic. Power hungry. (laughs) Yeah, that's you all over, Lucia. I've always said so. (laughs) Complicated. Oh, I love that one. And I'm afraid it gets used a lot whenever a woman demonstrates any kind of intellectual prowess. Feisty. Pushy. Intense. Now, that's a favorite of mine as well. I get that a lot. Okay. Okay. I just, I mean, I, I have so much to say right now. <laughs> I know, Nina. So let's focus. We have a lot to get through in this episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, that list is illustrative, not exhaustive, mind you. Oh, and Nina, you know the one I did not get? No. Which? Hysterical. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think maybe people have caught on to that one. Yes. <laughs> and then there was this group text that circulated about me last October 2021, which made its way to my eyes and about which I said nothing until now. Quote, that bitch president strutting in her heels in board meetings like she's asking for it. She'll get what she's asking for. We'll make sure of that. Unquote. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I am not laughing at that one. Just no. Lucia, I mean, what the what? Now, I've posted several times on LinkedIn about allyship, and I'm not going to lecture about that here, but one aspect of allyship would be for any or all of the men who received that text to speak up and say, that's not cool. We don't talk like that in this community. That is not acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Now, Lucia, as appalled as I am right now, and I really am, I'm going to mention one thing I think some people might be thinking and not me, but some people might be thinking, but isn't that just, you know, locker room talk? Isn't that just mm. stuff men say to each other? Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't really mean anything. They they wouldn't really actually do. Nina, just no. And everyone else, we can't dismiss it as just idle talk. At some point, language becomes action. And the complicit acceptance of violent, abusive, aggressive language contributes to the problem. It fuels conflict. Yes, you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Now, this episode isn't just about gender. It's about examining language in general that we toss about casually in everyday life, in relationships, in negotiation, and the impact it has on human lives and on outcomes. As a 
podcast host and writer, I am a proponent of vivid language that engages the audience, that helps them conjure an image in their minds. But in societal interactions, in work relationships, in negotiation, can we be more thoughtful with our language to ourselves, with others? Look, there are times in life when it is necessary and right to fight. That's litigation. This is a podcast on the superpower of everyday negotiation. And choosing your words carefully is part of honing that particular power. Contrasting the action-packed fight vocabulary. Now let's look at a mundane and innocuous looking word, but. But tends to negate whatever came before it. Let's drop it into an example of reflecting back what you hear someone say to see how this operates. Okay, so I came up with a few of these. So how about this? I really like what you've proposed here, but I think it could use some additional elaboration. Versus, I really like what you've proposed here, and I think it could use some additional elaboration. Mm-hmm. Or, I hear you're frustrated, but I think you might consider an alternative way of getting what you want. Versus, I hear you're frustrated, and I think you might consider an alternative way of getting what you want. When you change the but to an and, it makes what you're saying just more positive, and there's, I feel like there's less judgment involved. And it makes it more of a joint effort or a problem that you're working on together. Exactly, yeah. Uh, much, like the, much like the why questions, I try to avoid the conjunction but and replace it with and, just like you did with those examples, unless I really mean it. That is, I intend to negate the preceding clause. Another tendency of people in everyday conversation and negotiation is the use of superlative, absolute, and judgmental descriptors always, never, very, should, etc., which can actually shut down dialogue and erode trust because they imply that the speaker is set in their outlook and not open to another perspective. As a mediator, when I hear parties use these every day in seemingly innocent words, it's my job to reframe the message in a way that keeps the recipient at the table. You don't need to be a mediator to pause and think about the language you use before speaking the words, especially when you need to make a deal. We've discussed how you can word a question to solicit a no response to actually mean yes. Well, you can also use yes to replace no. For example, instead of, mommy, can I have some ice cream? Response, no, you haven't eaten your peas. Try, yes, as soon as you eat your peas. Uh <laughs> you can also use language to create the appearance of a choice. This was always a parenting favorite of mine. Would you like to take your bath before or after the movie? Okay. But notice, you... yeah, the bath no. is non-negotiable there. <laughs> right. But I have to call you on this one because it seems so obvious. I mean, I get that it works for kids, but does it really work on intelligent adults? Okay. <laughs> well, sh sure it does. So, for example, do you, school administrator, propose speech therapy as a service in the classroom or individually outside the classroom for our son? But speech services are non-negotiable there. Or how about even on a so-called non-returnable item? Would it be impossible to make a one-time exception to your return policy in this case? Or will we need to just take a store credit? 
Okay. That works. I get it now. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like verbal jujitsu. Oh, and notice my use of the Chris Voss no-oriented question in that example, too, covered in episode 12. Look, I'm not saying it's foolproof. Nothing is. But it's got a decent batting average. Mediators in particular are known for using certain magic words and phrases to keep the parties looking forward, discover hidden interests, generate options, and maintain an attitude of optimism. We use prefatory language, such as appreciating that, understanding that, recognizing that. We fuel hope and creativity to break down barriers. Imagine if. I wonder what would happen. I'm hopeful that. Oh, that's good stuff. Seems so simple now that you explain it. (laughs) Right. And you don't have to be a mediator to sprinkle some magic language dust in your own negotiation and everyday conversations. What I'd like to tell people is start more sentences with the word imagine. Now let's look at the language of empathy. Through the 10 years I taught negotiation and mediation at the law schools, empathy was a key skill I emphasized. It's powerful, humanizing, and you concede nothing by conveying it. I stand by that, but I don't have to. Turns out it's scientific, which was confirmed with research unveiled at the 2022 Neuroleadership Summit. Preparing your negotiation plan, thinking about and preparing questions to explore the other party's BATNA, covered that in an early episode, interests, needs, and then truly listening to them are all opportunities to introduce empathy into everyday conversations and negotiations. The third step of the listening model is reflecting back, and that's your window for using language to demonstrate empathy. That's also covered in the previous two episodes, I believe number seven and eight. So for example, I appreciate how hard this is for you. That must have hurt your feelings. I can tell you have a lot going on. Or how about, that sounds really challenging. I get how you felt that was unfair. I totally see why you would be embarrassed. I bet that took courage. Yeah. Expressing empathy does not mean agreeing with what the other person is saying. That's what makes it so powerful in negotiation. It contributes to rapport and trust without requiring any concessions. Wow. I mean, that's a really great point, Lucia, that you don't have to give up anything. That makes the process so much easier for most of us. Now I'd like to finish up with the language of apology. People sometimes think non-monetary needs, interests, or demands in a negotiation or mediation can be an easy item to toss in because the other party doesn't have to cut a check. Not so. Non-monetary aspects can be the final detail that closes a deal or holds one up because they implicate ego, effort, or time of the other party. It's easier for some people and organizations to throw in an extra $5,000. Possibly the most common non-monetary ask in negotiation and mediation is the apology. Sometimes starting off with Mm. an apology is the path to continuing to negotiate at all because that's just how important it is to that person. If an apology factors in your negotiation or settlement, there's a right way to do it. A sincere apology should include the following elements. One, 
a statement of gratitude. Thank you for talking to me about this or bringing this to my attention. If you hadn't done so, I wouldn't have realized, etc. Two, a statement of apology for specific behavior or actions. I'm sorry that I, fill in the blank, interrupted you in the meeting, whatever. Right. Number three, an explanation of why you behaved the way you did. I just did what I normally do when, etc. Number four, an expression of remorse. I feel terrible about this. Number five, an offer to help or repair any damage. Number six, acceptance of responsibility. It was careless of me, something like that. Number seven, a request for forgiveness. And number eight, a promise regarding the future. I won't let this happen again. Do not do this. Blame. Well, you're always late to meetings anyway. Make excuses. Defend. It's not like I meant it. Negate. I'm sorry you feel that way, or I'm sorry if you're offended. Or deflect. Oh, or how about, look, I'm sorry for whatever it is you think I did, okay? <laughs> Gosh, Nina, you rattled that one off almost as if, well, as if it happened to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Many find an in-person apology more impactful than a written apology, which can come across as detached and wordsmithed. For some, a sincere written apology carries the day. So, Lucia, do you think you're ever going to get an apology from those guys from last year? Oh, <laughs> Nina. <laughs> I think they'll just have another drink. They were really good at that. <laughs> I think that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening, or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. You can find us on Substack, Apple Podcasts, and at pactumfactum.com.